As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. the athletic football show i'm robert may is joining me today it's my good friend nate tice nate how you doing buddy we are about to do one of my favorite types of shows that we do on this this podcast and really one of my favorite things because it's a quasi kind of rankings and i love ranking stuff i i again i come from the board game world i've not played a board game in a while by the way which has really been disappointing in my life but i did order one recently just to get just to feel alive again just to be like, oh yeah hey, maybe i'll find someone to play again this, you know, this weekend little- this weekend is the time this- yeah, this maybe, maybe okay. Saturday you settle. Oh, in. my sister's coming into town for Thanksgiving. Okay, yeah, her and her husband they like to play, so maybe we'll get a game out. So, yeah, I just wanted to feel like maybe a little pre-Christmas for myself, but I'm very excited for the show and very excited for Week Ten as well. It's a good time of year. I was walking around today outside, walking the dog. It's perfect fall weather in Chicago. Like this is just the time. And I said this earlier this week, but I'm going to my high school's football game on Saturday, which I'm very excited about. It's a homecoming. So, so no, it is the playoffs. So my head coach has been there for 22 years. Yes. They have made the playoffs 18 times in those 22 years, That's which insane. is pretty good. And That's good. So he is the all-time winningest coach in the history of our conference. They have never made it past the Elite Eight. They've been oh. seven times in 22 years. This is the seventh time, and they've never gotten past the state quarterfinals. Oh, and so that's Gonzaga, how far huh? we that's how far we got. That's how far the class after me got. For whatever reason, like every, it's always different reasons that they don't make yeah. it past it. Yeah. So this year, they're undefeated. And, I, and me and my buddy, a couple of them who I played with, we always try to go when they get to that stage. Because one, I love my coaches. Like they're all, they're, yeah, they're all still there. You, I want to seem like you have a great them. relationship so with them. Yeah. I still have very good relationships with them. So we're going. And like, I'm just very excited to like go sit outside and, on an autumn day and watch a high school football game. It's like the perfect awesome. way to spend an afternoon. So very much looking forward to it. I, I can't I wait live. for them to lose in heartbreaking fashion. To Maine South again, who they've lost to multiple times in this round. Uh, maybe 2023 is the year. Lucky number 23. Yeah. I, I Peter Skaronsky's high, high school. Ty- tying it all together. Is it? Yeah, I, sound, yeah, I live next to a, a Las Vegas powerhouse or near uh, Bishop Gorman, and I've been very tempted because I last week we went to a friend's uh, on a Friday night and the game was going on. And it was just kind of like, 
Oh, you hear that noise? You, f- you feel the pull? You feel yeah, it. I, I you totally feel people pulling that. up, almost getting yeah. hit by a high school kid that takes the right wrong lane coming in. You know, <laughs> like you know. But the, it's it's kind of that energy. And I I live near a, a great park here too that has two little league fields and on um, baseball, and that is fun to hear like year round here in Vegas, but especially in the summer, and you just hear that. Right, Johnny. And it's like it's really great to hear that. Like I'm sitting outside, so yeah, it's some good, good wholesome stuff here in Sin City uh, as a Sin City resident. We're gonna get into a lot of fun stuff about Week Ten today, but before we do that, it's the halfway point, and we're gonna do some awards. Before the season started, I told all of you that this was only a preview in name only. We were gonna do a lot of weird stuff on this Thursday into Friday show, and today we are handing out. Some midseason awards. Could do mostly the big ones. You know, no real made up ones. We did assistant coach of the year coming into this. So we're going to do that again. Mm-hmm. So we're going to d- hit all of the major ones. You wrote about this last week. I think that to me, it's one of the more fascinating award seasons in recent memory. You could yeah. lay out four or five candidates for almost every single award. Some of them where it should be obvious like the one we're going to start off with, this is a runaway winner in almost any other year. This year, there are two or three guys you still have to mention because they're playing so well. So I I feel like we're going to land on a lot of the same answers here, unfortunately, but I think Mm. the lists of names that we're going to get to are deeper than pretty much any season that I can remember. I even think that the MVP award, which has plenty of valid candidates, but maybe not one unanimous strong one at this point in time, it's, I was trying to kind of like, I was like, oh man, is there incomplete teams? I'm like, no, a lot of these guys are on really complete teams. It's because defenses are so strong and offense that, is so why. down. Yeah. And it's so, it's an offensive award. It's a quarterback award. And ah, oh, duh, that makes so much sense. And once they kind of encapsulate all that, all these other name, numbers make sense. And when we talk about some of these guys, like the word about we're about to start with, it makes these guys kind of shine even brighter what they're doing right now in this defensive atmosphere. So let's start with Offensive Player of the Year. That's what we're going to kick it off with. Similar like we did preseason. Can't start with MVP. Like the best no. picture comes last, but you got to start with the juicy one. So we said we're going to kick this up. Right? It's best supporting is how supporting the Oscars, I knew, Oscars I always know, I, start. I think yes. this is like yeah. four awards times in a, war, uh, in a row that I've asked you that question. And you've, like, got, you've known it every you single always time. Because I, I love the Oscars. It's like one of my favorite yeah. things. Yeah. So I, I have deep Oscars <sighs> knowledge, weirdly. Let's start with Offensive Player of the Year. I know who I, I think we have the same winner, but the yeah. race for this is fascinating. There are a bunch of different guys that we can talk about. Who is your winner for Offensive Player of the Year? It is Tyreek Hill, which was my winner last week, has not changed, even if his historic number for yards per route run has dropped below four. Anyone over three is a historical rare number. We've only seen three of them in the past decade. There's two guy, two of these guys we're about to talk about that are above three. Tyreek Hill just happens to be at 3.97. It's insane. Yeah, just paltry. You know, it's like Barry Bonds <laughs> numbers. At least it's the highest that. mark since PFF started tracking mm-hmm. the stat, which I think was 2012. Yeah, that's yeah, that's I can't find. I, I want to see Randy Moss's 98 number. I, I'm curious <laughs> now, but they don't have the routes, <laughs> so I can't say it. But he's also averaging the most ex- uh, explosive receptions per route. If there was a war season for receivers, this is the greatest war season we've seen, in, at least in recent memory. Um, this offense is driven through him. Yes, they are rides through him. Yes, they do need a run game to help balance it out, but he encapsulates that entire offense. And he's just, I, it's one of the most dominant player performances, non quarterback that we've seen really since we've done the show and really recent times. Every single number about his receptions would give him this alone. 18.4% of his routes have ended in a first down. That's the most in the league. He's created 50 receiving first downs on his own. 
He's 10th in EPA per target. And to do that efficiency-wise at the volume yeah. he's operating at is truly insane. Because EPA is EPA's usually like the second receiver. Yeah, or Dallas like Goddard led Dallas the league Goddard, in EPA yes. per target last Correct. year. It's that yes. sort of thing. It's a lot so of secondary guy. options. Yeah. And that is enough where you just have his personal production. But watching that offense be expressed through him and become possible because of his skill set, that's what does it for me. That's what changes the argument with him compared to a guy like A.J. Brown or a guy like yeah. Christian McCaffrey. You could also make that argument, but it's a little bit more pronounced when we're talking about Tyreek Hill in this particular circumstance. Yeah. So I think he has it. I think he has been the most impactful non-quarterback in the NFL. I yeah. think he's probably been the most valuable impactful non-quarterback that we've seen in the last several seasons. Yeah. If there was ever a world where a quarter, a non-quarterback could win the MVP, this would be the year. There aren't that many strong quarterback candidates. It's a down year. I still think we have reached a place in football where it is impossible for the most valuable player in the league to not be a quarterback, but he certainly has the strongest argument that we've seen in a while. Yeah, and we say a down year, but still like there's still some pretty good quarterback play going on right now, which we'll talk about. I guess there's but there's no it, obvious candidates, right? right. There's no, there's no like, ob, there's no obvious guys. The yeah. offensive stats are depressed so much that this yeah. might be the year where you could sneak in as a non-quarterback, but mm-hmm. I, I think that's a non-starter. I, was, I know. I'm just, I'd love to see a defense player get it. That'd be so fun. It was just really it, like, that would be a perfect, like, Hey, remember 2023? Yeah. That was the year defense is really good. Boom, there's this is the MVP. argument That's for it. my most outstanding player award. Yes, this is the type I, of year where if we had a most outstanding player award, Tyreek Hill would be the most outstanding player in the NFL so far this year. I believe that, yeah. but we're not. He's not the MVP because he can't be. Right. And the AJ Brown is another player that's above three yards uh, per route run. There's other stats to look at, but that's just a nice one to see, like how efficient, how not just the normal box score numbers that we look at, but just like just how efficient these guys are. He's having a fantastic year. Every he's argument right you can make, there. He's yeah. right there. He's right behind him in everything. In any everything. other season, A.J. Brown would be the offensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. I want to give it to him. You know how much I love A.J. Brown. He's been unbelievable this year. Yeah. But you just can't. With everything can't. that Tyreek Hill is doing, you just can't. Every every argument you can make for A.J. Brown, who has been phenomenal, Tyreek Hill's argument's the exact same and better. <laughs> so it just, it just that's how it goes. <laughs> and, and CMC's been fantastic and one of the most valuable non-quarterbacks as well. And that's why he should get mentioned as well. He's extremely efficient as a receiver and as a runner he is the epitome of just watching running back play right now and he's super efficient explosive all the good stuff so that's a i think he's a strong third right now and there may be a couple interesting guys in the second half who do you think can potentially gain some ground and at least get into the conversation in the second half let's say if one of those two guys at the top falls off my my first inkling was uh, Jamar Chase, but then this back thing is kind of has me a little worried about so how they're using him. I know it's really, especially how this Bengals team's looking right now. But the other one, and it's because maybe I wrote about it, but ever since their bye week, we're really after they got their teeth kicked in by the 49ers, is C.D. Lamb. Um, C.D. Lamb is just under three yards per route run, 2.97. He's in fourth in the league right now. I, I think Ayuk's up there as well, but it's like about routes and everything. But I, yeah, Ayuk's numbers are crazy. Crazy. The the yeah. yards per route run, the first downs per route run, he, on yeah. an efficiency level, he's been bonkers, but he's it's insane. a volume thing, everything else. Like he's yeah. he is technically the number one receiver in that offense right now, but I think a lot of his numbers align with some of those secondary characteristics yeah. that we talk about, where it's like, the volume's a little bit lower so that the efficiency kind of creeps up a little bit. It's like a uh one of those random 
players like maybe in the finals or something that NBA finals that like they score like 24 points and it's like they went seven for seven from three. Yeah. And it's like they only took seven shots. It wasn't like they, you know, took 20 shots and free throws and all that. It's like they, he gets, he's getting those. His, he's crushing his games, every single listen, one. Listen, I know this as a Brandon Ayuk fantasy investor. Yeah. He's eight targets for eight catches for 97 yards, like yep. every single game. It, there's no wasted targets with Brandon Ayuk right now. But <laughs> only way I could compare him is Kyle Corver. Like <laughs> Brandon Ayuk <laughs> and Kyle Corver. That's the comparison going with. Uh, but I, I, but really, uh, right about CD, they, they're using him on the outside and not that they're using him more, but when he is on the outside, they're targeting him more. They're when they're saying you're on the outside for a reason and uh, he is the best receiver. For players that have run, I believe, 95 routes or more, because I think that's how much CD has on the outside. He is the most efficient receiver in the game on the outside right now. It's him and Tyreek are above four yards per route run on the outside. So CD Lamb and how they're using him at these last three games, he has 30 receptions on 37 targets, 466 yards and two touchdowns. They're, they're, he is the focal point of the attack and everything builds off of him. So he's just another one of these guys, another one of these strong ace receivers that teams are using really smart in, in smart ways right now. Talk about that EPA per target and how it can go down with volume. CeeDee Lamb is third in the entire NFL right now. The only guys ahead of him are Michael Wilson and Nico Collins, who have at least 25 targets. That's how good he's been when they throw him the ball, and the volume is right there. I mean, he's going to have an insane counting stat season Mm -hmm. by the time it's all said and done based on what his usage looks like right now. So that's definitely a name to throw out. The McCaffrey stat I loved. So McCaffrey is... Third in rushing success rate, top five mm-hmm. in first downs per rush. Mm-hmm. He in first downs per target, he is right behind. This is in order: Tyreek Hill, AJ Brown, CD Lamb, and then Christian McCaffrey. Yep. That's how good he has been as a receiver beyond all the rushing. So right now, I think yep. those three plus CD Lamb is like a good place yep. to kind of cut off that discussion. This one's going to be tough to cut off. Defensive uh, yeah. Player of the Year. So would this be Best Actress? What's the second award? Best Supporting Actress. They always do Best that. And it's, and, and it's the winner from the previous year that gives it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew yeah. that. <laughs> Actually, I did not know that. I did not know the previous that's, winner. That, that's how, that makes that's sense. That makes a lot of sense. I don't Who's watch it every the winner year, for Defensive Player of the Year? This one is fun, and I think the discussion will be more fun talking about all the candidates as opposed you to maybe who wins. You eight guys and have a case. And I would not blink an eye. It, it's tiebreakers I'm basically using. And arbitrary ones. Like, I don't even... Like you said, there's so many guys I can just name here, but I'm going with Miles Garrett. And Miles Garrett was my award winner last week. Hasn't changed. He, what he's doing in efficiency-wise, as far as pressures, getting home, he nearly has 10 sacks already, but also just the other stuff. He's pretty strong in the run game. And if you watch, the, we're going to talk about this game. The first time he played against the Ravens, the Ravens didn't run at his side at all. I think maybe <laughs> once the entire game. So it's hard to make a lot of like TFLs and run stuffs if you don't really have a lot of opportunities. But on top of it, stuff like forced fumbles, impactful plays, those turnovers, I got to give it to him. I, 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 he, it, this season feels like his season. That defense is, has never been better in, in Cleveland, and that's got to be it. So that's why he gets the nod for me. Because I've always said this, and I believe this. I think that these exercises, when we come to our answers, it should be a way to tell the story of the season. Right. The Browns defense has been the story of the season, and he is the superstar on the Browns defense. Did you see what Todd Mockett said about him today? No. They were asking Todd Mockett about game planning for him, and he goes, it's terrible. He's like, I wish he just wasn't playing. But that's that's how he that's who he is. And you see the attention paid yeah. to him and the thought given to him in every single game teams play against him. The double team rates are still insane. They're up near mm-hmm. the top of the league. Him and Nick Bosa, which I think is 
probably a reason the Chase Young trade needs to happen. We will talk about that in a little yeah. bit. But I think that Miles Garrett right now is still the most impactful defensive player in the league, down in and down out. His first and pass rush win weight for PFF, nine and a half sacks, which is right near the league lead. He's forced those four fumbles. I just I feel his presence every mm-hmm. single down in a way that I think is more pronounced than everyone else. That being said, it is very, very close with like yeah. four other guys. Max Crosby has such a good case because mm-hmm. of the volume of snaps that he plays and because of how many ways he affects the game that aren't just rushing the passer. He has the second most splash plays, which is a true media stat, of any player in the NFL so far this year. Sacks, TFLs, run stuffs, pressures leading to a throwaway, batted passes, just plays that you yeah. shut down, essentially. Right. Most of the other guys in that list at the top are linebackers because they get volume stats. They get a lot of run stuffs. They get a lot of tackles. He is second while also leading the league in pressures. Like That is how good he has been in every single area, and you can name off three or four more guys. Yeah, he, Crosby is a case that's like really fun. To, it's like one of those numbers where every number is more impressive than the last. Even just his snaps played is impressive. It's like I, I, more people Same know old about story. Max. Did it last year? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, more people know about Max Crosby's snaps played than like ever before. It's actually kind of fun because you marvel at it. He's an. They've Iron also Man. played some national games. So they, they've exactly. he's had some big moments on oh, national think? TV. Oh, those two Monday night games that they played. The week after he had a Monday night game, they uh, he also has number one in defensive player of the year voting, or at least this fan one poll, poll I saw on Twitter, but it's just pretty funny how that works. But he has more solo tackles than Micah Parsons and Miles Garrett combined. Like he is impactful in the run game. He is in splash plays, like you brought up, TFLs and run stuffs. He has 10 of those. And his rate stats are just as good. I think he's seventh in pressure rate or um, near the top 10. So it's not even just the sheer volumes, efficiency as well. He is he's fantastic. Like, like his, yeah, he is just playing absolutely like fantastic football right now. And then you got Micah Parsons, uh, TJ Watt, Aaron Donald is playing phenomenal football this year. Weird. Uh, but then you can just even look at other guys, like other positions. Roquan Smith is playing fantastic football. The incredible math changer. It's Daniel Hunter is having a great year. Um, some of his stuff is a little empty calorie. Like, I'm not empty calorie. I should say, I should say he's getting a little lucky. As far as like how many hits are turning into sacks, yes. but he's still playing great. Yes. <laughs> so, and when you, yes. when you are on pace to have 20 sacks in a season, you're playing pretty good football, even if you're yes. getting a little bit lucky. Yes. So his name absolutely deserve mention, me, deserves mention. Josh Allen of the, the Jags is the having Jags. a really yes. nice year so far, even if it's a tier lower than these guys. What Dexter Lawrence continues to do as an interior pass rusher. So I think you can name all of those guys off. TJ Watt, like you said, Roquan, like you said, those were all guys on my list. Right now, I think it's Mike, I think it's Miles Garrett. Mm-hmm. I think Max Crosby to me probably is second in my little tier. And I think go, Michael Parsons is probably evil, even with him, in my opinion. Okay, I gotcha. Yep. I yeah, I would say all three of those are in the same tier. And you could flip sense. a coin. Yeah, yeah and you, could, would, you could flip a coin and, and give it TJ to any of the three. Watts, and I wouldn't care. Not that far behind. And if you want to have fun and go, hey, Roquan, what he's doing? It's like, yeah, like I wouldn't like blink an eye. Dexter Lawrence's stuff is like for me. It's that I love the pressure numbers and everything. It's like he gets on base a lot. I, I need some more jacks from you. Let's let's get home. Let's just let's just get home. I know you're a nose. I know the quarterback scamper away from you. I know I know you just do it over and over. Just. Just crank that shoulder back. I, I maybe just a couple more sacks. That's all I need to see. I just love watching him play. He's watching awesome. entire games of him. 340 and pounds. Him walk the center back into the quarterback <laughs> tw- like 10 times over the course of a game. Obviously, the game they played against the Jets was 
the biggest one he's had. He had 15 yeah. pressures in that game alone, but he's been a consistent force he in was the same way that he was fourth in my article year. last week. Yeah. I, I that guy is right unbelievably there. fun to watch. Yeah. Yep. So that's, it's going to be a very crowded race down the back half of the season, but I still would give the slight edge to Miles Garrett. All right. Offensive rookie of the year. This one has shifted, I think, over the last yes. couple of weeks. Yes, it has. And it's funny what one historic performance will really help you out here because I wrote this last week. I, I still think Puka Nakua season should be celebrated. He is not my pick, but I want to celebrate him real quick. Successful targets per route run. He is fifth in the entire league. Any any year, not just rookie, nothing. Fifth, only behind Tyreek Hill, Brandon Ayuk, Amon Rossi Brown, and Travis Kelsey. And everyone else over 15%, it's Jamar Chase, A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, Keenan Allen, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Adams. So he's playing like a freaking elite receiver right now as a rookie. And they're using him perfectly. That does help. And Stafford's playing well when he's been healthy. But he's just flat good. Having said that, <laughs> my pick for this award is C.J. Stroud. Uh, wow. It's just eye test. But then also just looking at his numbers, it's truly a number. I don't think anyone's surprised by this. I think everyone feels this way when watching him and seeing what he did on Sunday. But there have been 58 rookies, rookie QBs since the year 2000 that have had 100 or more attempts through the first nine weeks. Okay, so that's the qualifying stat. He's top 10 in success rate, but he's seventh in EPA per dropback. He's only behind Big Ben, Dak, Deshaun Watson, RG3, Justin Herbert, and Cam Newton. So I uh, cranked the number up a little bit. So okay. 200, 250. It's probably even better. And so he was fifth in that. So I had the exact same stat that I was looking up because yeah. I was curious because he's I was fifth too. in EPA per drop back this year. Yeah. He is the same as Mahomes. And I know that it's, you know, those normal caveats with that stat it is a pa- health of the passing offense stat. Correct. I think the eye test plus what they're asking him to do with that offense, there is a lot of real in that number when you yeah. land on it in the end. Yes. When that, yes, there's more inflation because where does Bobby Sloak's offensive system come from? So there's going to be a little bit of that. But remember, like, when we saw this offense with, like, a very good quarterback in 2016, Falcons happened. Like, that's, this is what it looks like when you get a talented, very talented player, like a CJ Stroud, and then you get him in this kind of atmosphere of offense circumstances. Yeah. Just great stuff. He was just above Andrew Luck and Matt Ryan. Like those are two of the better rookie quarterback years, and he's above the, above those guys. It's he is doing, it's fantastic stuff. I, I'm so glad everyone's giving him his roses. So it's not like we're like out on Olivier, but he is a awesome player already. What I love about it is that the efficiency per dropback is incredible. The EPA per dropback, like you said, that list of all those guys, he belongs in the greatest, the best rookie seasons we've seen in the last 20 yep. years. The most yards, total yards that any of those guys threw for in their rookie year was Dak at 3,700. On a 16-game pace, C.J. Stroud is on pace to throw for 4,500 yards and 30 touchdowns with two interceptions. So he's being asked to do more Mm -hmm. within the offense than a lot of those other notable rookie quarterbacks were asked to do. Just just think about those seasons. Dak played with Ezekiel Elliott in that offensive line. It was a run-first offense. Dak was a role player within that offense. He was great, but he was a role player within that offense. RG3... In that Washington offense in 2012 is one of the craziest schematic advantages we've ever seen in the NFL. He was very good, but that's what that was. Russell in 2013 or 2012. Again, run heavy offense, not Mm -hmm. asked to do a lot. Big heavy play action. Yep. 2008 Matt Ryan. Same thing. We remember Matt Ryan later in his career where he's throwing the ball 600 times a season. The 2008 Falcons were built around Michael Turner and Matt Ryan throwing the ball every once in a while. And then in 2004, Ben Roethlisberger threw the ball like 26 times. 
over the course of the entire year. So what CJ Stroud is doing, this is not an exaggeration, is sort of unprecedented in terms of the role he's playing within the offense and the efficiency that he's putting up. Yeah, this one feels more like Luck's rookie year or even – but his has been – the numbers are even better. Because Luck's rookie year, they just put it all right, put it all on him. Yeah, hey, you're the offense, go. And I mean, it worked. It was even some of the numbers, but Stroud's been so much more efficient. And I, and even those other guys, like a, a Cam Newton, and having a strong year. How much? How you know early career Cam Newton, just running over everybody and running all over the place, you know, and then just launching balls down the field. Stroud just has that more, you know, assassin feel from the pocket and just like that true operator at the quarterback position. So it's. Yeah, it's good stuff. I, I was glad that the numbers held that strong because I was I was hadn't really looked at rookie year EPA per dropback. No, I have not I, had I, access I had to looked this at it in stuff. a long time, and so yeah. it was the first. I I just I queued up the same thing that you did because when I, I saw that look. he was fifth, I was like, where does that rank in the last right. since I we saw had point one five? And I was like, hmm, that's pretty strong, <laughs> and that's and that's the answer. So yeah. I, I also went with CJ Stroud. I think that yeah. he's having a quarterback season for the ages and. I cannot wait to continue watching him play. Defensive Rookie of the Year, also pretty clear in my opinion. Ooh, okay. I went with Jalen Carter. I also did. Okay. I was – so we were 100% so far. Yeah. (laughs) So I I think that – Devin Witherspoon is having a really impressive season. Jalen Carter is playing at an all-pro level. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Carter yeah. is one of the best players at his position in the NFL so far this year. Full stop. Yeah. Witherspoon's been probably really good. I think that Jalen Carter is a step above any other yeah. defensive rookie in the league. Like Jalen Carter like should be a Pro Bowl or Witherspoon. I'm like, ooh, he's interesting. Like he's really fun. Again, I compared him to the pistol from Halo One. But it's just he is a guy that it's more like, oh, he's on the fringe of getting a Pro Bowl this year and being one of those guys. Like maybe when we do the end of the end of the year and I look at the slot position and give some awards to that, it's like, yeah, but like Jalen Carter's like, you know. Elite of his position, or very good at the very least, a second tier player at his position already as a rookie, and taking over games when he needs to. Um, the the Tyler Smith play again coming those closer moments, and the fact that he has that in his bag, and he's already shown stuff like hustle right now. He ran down a screen a couple of weeks ago, I believe, against Washington, and runs down a screen way down the field, and it's just like, yeah, this guy, this guy's a monster. Anybody else worth mentioning in this conversation? Yeah, outside of my dark horses. Carter. For the second half is Byron Young from the Ramps, who is yeah. just a – Dane and I had a fun you conversation love, about You love Byron Young. He's a good player. He's, He's been really fun to watch. He is. Dane and I talked about this. So when I, I watched him in the preseason, that's the only – I was like, who the, who the hell are these Rams defenders? Like that was seriously what I was trying to – you know, just in case. All right, Safford's playing. All right, I'm going to check out the team. I'm like, who – okay, number zero. All right, that's fun. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's doing some stuff. He's flashing. Okay. Oh, he got a face mask. All right. All right. Well, okay. I'll just keep that in the back of my mind. They're playing. I thought he'd just be a designated pass rusher. They're playing like a full-time outside linebacker run. And he had his best game against the run, I would say, against the Packers. Uh, him against Luke Musgrave was a fun, like, baby versus baby for me. That was, that was, <laughs> I love those matchups. Uh, so <laughs> did not tweet any. I didn't want to get made fun of too much, but it was, yeah, Byron Young, uh, I think is a, a good find for this Rams team. Not like it's really cool to watch him. He has a really fun story. Dane and I talked about him a few days ago on Prospects Pros. You want to hear more, but really, really fun player, a good find for this Rams team who had a, looks like they had a pretty strong draft. Yeah. I mean, it can happen fast. We think about the conversation about the Seahawks last year, where all anyone could talk about for five to six years was the Seahawks couldn't find players in the draft anymore. And then no, look no, at what no, they've no. done over the last couple of years the and Chiefs. how they've just completely replenished. 
Chiefs changed their changed their whole team makeup and trajectory by just crushing a draft. That yeah, that's fun. That's how you do it. Also, Will Anderson, of course, gets a shout out. Will Anderson he, deserves to be mentioned. Brian and then Branch. the other guy, I Brian Branch. Yeah, if we're talking okay. about guys okay. who've been really impactful, Brian Branch yep. is the last guy I definitely wanted to mention. But I think that's the list. And I, I think the Jalen yep. Carter, I think to me, still pretty comfortably deserves it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I think this is where we might start diverging now. Okay, here we go. Coach of the year. Oh, this this was really tough, and I'm going to. This is hard. It's an it's another another category where it it's so difficult to land on an answer that you like and leave off some of these other guys. I actually almost wish I we didn't talk before the show because then I like I was like no I'm going to just stick with my answer and then I was like. Am I though? Like now I started okay, thinking a little bit, but I ended up going with John Harbaugh for the Baltimore Okay, Rams. good, 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 good. Yes. Good, okay. Yes. Uh, just like I wrote about last week, I think the schedule that this team has faced, the dominant performances, both sides of the ball playing well from hires that they have made recently uh, mm-hmm. on defense and offense. Uh, I think the special teams needs a little uptick. Come on, Harbaugh. That's your guy. That's your, that's your thing. It should be, but it'll be fine. I think some of the game management stuff, he has historically been good about it. Uh, as far as like being clock management and fourth down stuff and aggressiveness going for two and just that awareness. So I, I got to give it to him. I think that Ravens team has just been so impressive. These wins, they've had some of the best wins. Like we talked about after Sunday against the Seahawks, they had the most skulls so far. So I'm going to give it to the guy that's leading that, that group of skull takers, which is John Arbaugh. One of my favorite things about the NFL over the last 10, 12 years since I started covering the league is the Ravens' ability to consistently reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I just love watching how considered each evolution is and what it ends up looking like. And for them, over the last two years, it's happened on both sides of the ball. Last year was on defense, where you have this identity that you've developed under Wink Martindale. We are a blitz man team. That's who we are. We're going to get after people. Well, the pendulum started swinging away from that. Mm-hmm. Teams offenses figured out how to attack those sorts of defenses, and you're going to get gashed if you keep trying to play that way. And that's the central part of your identity. So the Ravens are like, okay, we need to change. Let's go shop in an aisle that we're very comfortable with. Mike McDonald was there for a long time. He goes to Michigan for a year. All right, you got to call some defense. We'll come back we home. Well, triple A. Come tri- back home. <laughs> he comes back. They change their entire defensive identity. They still blitz, but very selectively. They're very yep. efficient when they do it, but they are a – it's that shape-shifting type of defense where it can express into anything. It's very hard to predict the opposite of what they were under Wink Martindale. Yes. Okay? You have 
think about all the different offensive coordinators that the Ravens have had. Think, remember the Gary Kubiak stretch? Oh, yeah. In Baltimore with Joe Flacco. I mean, it's oh, so yeah. many different ways that they play, but it was very traditional. Like Justin Forsett is running for five and a half yards of carry in a zone-based running scheme under center. Like that's what they were. That's where Kyle Juszczyk Kyle got his start in Baltimore. That, Kyle Juszczyk uh, there was, a reason. was there. <laughs> so that's you have that kind of very traditional sort of offense with Joe Flacco. They go draft Lamar Jackson. And build an offensive system specifically designed for Lamar Jackson to thrive. He wins an MVP award. Okay? Makes total sense to bring in Greg Roman at that stage. They play out the string over the next 19, 20, 21, 22, four years. Mm-hmm. They realize by the end of the fourth year, we've, re- we've run out of road. Mm-hmm. Like, this is who we are. It has worked. It took us to incredible heights. We need to try something different if we are going to move into the next phase of who we want to be as a franchise. He goes out and I think makes one of the most inspired offensive coordinator hires I can remember. If you listed off every single guy that could have gotten one of those jobs this offseason and you pick the person who would have made me most excited, it would have been Todd Monken. Based not only about what he did at Georgia, but I remember those Bucks teams. Those Bucks teams were fun as shit. They were so exciting to watch. So trying to graft that sort of style and how flexible he had shown to be onto Lamar and the changing personnel, again, it's inspired. And that is what has made John Harbaugh so good, is that he's just this CEO type of head coach who's consistently thinking about the right ways to take his team into the next era of who they need to be. And I think this year is one of his best examples of that. I have no issue with giving this to him. I am not. I was going to say, but I'm going with Dan Campbell, man. I love it. He's the, Dan he's came the be- in, Campbell came in second for me. If I were he's to- the betting favorite, and he's the betting okay. favorite for the reasons I think we traditionally hand this award out, where you have a team that wasn't that successful the previous yep. year, and they were fine, right? That they were on the verge of the playoffs, but yep. they've clearly improved. This is often an improvement award. Mm-hmm. That's not why I'm giving it to him. It's all the other stuff. Watching this team, and there's an example from the game they played against the Raiders a couple weeks ago. They had a fourth and eight from the eight yard line in the first half. They line up and try to draw them off sides, and they take a delay of game on that play. You might think, well, why why would you do that? Mm -hmm. Well, because if they had gotten them to jump, they would have gone for it on fourth and three. Right. But turning a, do the math, 25-yard field goal into a 30-yard field goal, there's truly no downside in allowing that to happen. So it's just one small example. But I, Eric Eager from Sumer Sports tweeted out last week, because this is stuff that I don't know how to find the data on it, but it's essentially win probability added on coaching decisions. Right. Timeout usage, fourth down decision making, all kinds of stuff. They're controllables. Camp- yes. The, what, what the head coach can control. Dan Campbell was number one in the NFL. Yep. So this personification of Dan Campbell, where we're making him man Campbell, and it's all about this meathead bullshit he has been one of the best situational, arguably the best situational coaches in the NFL so far this year. And then let's talk about the man Campbell nonsense mm-hmm. because that team plays a certain way. They have an identity. They have an attitude. They bring in those types of guys that they get the most out of consistently. Watching every single player they acquire through free agency or the draft become the best version of himself while playing for the Detroit Lions, that is the sign of a healthy environment and a healthy atmosphere. And he is the one that has helped create that. And then you combine that with all the injuries they've dealt with this year. CJ Garner Johnson's on IR. Emmanuel Mosley went on IR. Brian Branch has missed a couple games. Jonah Jackson missed a couple games. Taylor Decker missed a couple games. We haven't even talked about it. 
because they keep rolling along while mm-hmm. enduring that stuff. So the job that he has done top to bottom, and then the last thing for me is the identity shift they've gone through on defense, where this was a team that played a lot of man in the first half of last season. They're getting gashed. And them kind of transitioning to this, let's limit explosives, let's be this kind of quarters-based team, let's keep things in front of us. That identity shift, I'm sure he had something to do with that in conversations with Aaron Glenn. So just every single thing they've done, all the buttons that they've pressed, I think he just deserves a ton of credit for that. Yeah, he showed inkling of aggressiveness on fourth down the last couple of years, but it's always interesting to me when we get these kind of like, oh, we're... We're, we're going to be aggressive or we're going to be forward thinking. And then when the games kind of don't really matter, you know, no one really has expectations. But then as soon as people have expectations, it goes, <gasps> punting on fourth and one from the 40. Okay. That, that, like that's, it just kind of turns into that. He's doubled down. He has been not only this year, but previous years, one of the most aggressive as far as calling fakes. Uh, and I think that is also speaks to just hit reflecting his personality. He's a, I mean, he's got some of that. Sean Payton parcels to him, Bill's parcels as well to him. Like he really does just that understanding of the game and that aggressiveness on fourth down parcels was like a, a person that was always aggressive on those types of situations too, at least relevant. Oh, like yeah, relative, re- like, relative to the era. Was like, yes. He went like, yeah. he went for it like seven times throughout the entire year. People were like, Oh my God, Riverboat gambler over here. Uh, but no, but I do think he has some of that DNA in him. So that's my second place finisher. And I think these two are the ones that I really settled on. I would say, but others I considered as well. Mike I've McDaniel. got a bunch. I thought Mike McDaniel should get some credit for this offensive innovation that he's a part of and what they're 100%. doing right percent. Yeah, and that has to get – we know it's really reflected on his uh, his ability and as a play caller and all that, so I think he should get a tip of the cap. Of course, there is the, the zombie team that is the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I guess is relevant because of the – I think Dawn of the Dead was filmed there. I'm not so – I'm, do, I'm not doing this. And I'll give I'll give Mike Tomlin a little nod because of just being able to get the, – they're not good, but be I'm able not, to I'm just, not just scrap this. that together. Uh, what else we got? I, I want to hear what else you got. But uh, those are the guys – I mean, just keep going and going. But I'll just start with – Nick uh, Sirianni. Right there. Sirianni, I, I think that Sirianni continues to deserve credit eight for the game one. management stuff. They're 8-1, and one, and they've added more – value on fourth down decisions this year than any team in the NFL. And obviously they have the mechanisms to make it easier on themselves. But I think their creation of an offense and a system and a mindset that gives you essentially four downs every single time where other teams have three, that's a huge advantage that I think he has helped stoke. Them losing both coordinators, I know it's been uneven on defense, but I think Sean Desai has done a very good job coming in there. He made that higher. They've been really injured on defense. I think they're doing Mm -hmm. a lot of good stuff. I think he deserves credit for that. Mike McDaniel, like you said, absolutely. The guy I think, if they had won a couple more games, the ball bounces differently and his quarterback doesn't tear his Achilles. I think Kevin O'Connell has done an unbelievable job this year. Like what What year two of that offense has looked like, how much he's improved, with some of yeah. the time management stuff, the timeout stuff, the operation at the line of scrimmage, it, what they did last week. I just think that he has done a remarkable job. I feel so confident about what the future looks like there with him in charge. And last year, we know what last year was. And even though they're losing much more this year and they're not going to make the playoffs most likely, I feel so much better about after watching the 2023 Vikings about what the 2025 Vikings will look like than I did last year, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. I want to see Joshua Dobbs throwing to Justin Jefferson. I want to see what, see what they can do. Dobbs is doing nice stuff for the Cardinals. I 
I know no one was really watching the Cardinals this year, but this guy did not come out of nowhere. He was literally starting for another team a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it was just, it wasn't like he was, you know, bagging groceries, uh, like just a couple of weeks ago and it started. But I will say it still is impressive what he did. And of course, KOC and the offensive coaching staff should be reflected for that. But also other things, what that, that offense was becoming one of my favorite watches in the league because it just had, they had an identity, even if it is some of the classics. But they put their twist on it and getting Addison and implementing more pockets and getting that run game on track and doing things at least trying to innovate. Yeah. Uh, without Justin Jefferson, they were still scoring. Kirk Cousins was playing awesome. Yeah, it kind of stinks. I'm glad you gave him a shout out. Also, Doug Peterson. I want to give him a shout out because I, I uh, Jaguars are playing pretty pretty good ball on all three fi- phases. They also have a great punt team. I just wrote about punters this week. So I did note that the Jaguars are getting a lot out of their punt team. But yeah, offense, defense, and again, they just kind of do things. He's aggressive on fourth down as well, so he should get a nod as well. I think that's a good call. All right, executive of the year. Uh, I think I, this is the last one I answered. I, I ended up going, and this is my nod to the Lions, to Brad Holmes. and He was second it, on my list. Okay. Um, this one... This is an easier award to give at the end of the year <laughs> because it's like, okay, this might look okay. But the argument was in the draft with having two first rounders and two second rounders. And I think some of like even – I think I gave it Brad Holmes a little nod a few years ago. We did a GM list. And I was like, him and Dan Campbell, I think they – like you said with Dan Campbell, is they know an identity. That, or they know their identity. They know what types of players they like. But, okay, Jameer Gibbs, Jack Campbell going the first round. And I was like, whew, everybody went off. Everybody just is like having fun, making fun of that. But have you guys seen their second round picks? And I believe this guy, the one that selected him or had a hand in selecting him, should get awarded for that or rewarded for that. Because what Brian Branch has done, what Sam Laporta has done, just the moves they try to make this offseason, the reconfigurations that they try to make this offseason, like we said, the DB room, yes, they have faced injuries, but also just trusting that their guys are going to develop. And I know that sounds like, oh, he didn't do anything, but he trusted it and it worked. So I think I mean, that's yeah. such a good point. It, because it would, have, it would have been so easy to sign, you know, two more defensive tackles and yeah. not let Aleem McNeil have this yeah. path to development right. that he's had. I think that's, a, that's is a really important thing to point out. A legit most improved player in the entire uh, NFL, Aleem McNeil. I do in going into the season, I barely knew anything about him. I well, okay, what is this guy? He's a good plus plus player. Um, like just knowing what you guys are and what you can get out of them matters so much too. And I. I got this thought actually even more so watching the Bears defense a couple of days ago. Yeah, believe it or not, watching the Bears defense. They're doing decent things, by the way. I'm excited they to are. talk about they it. Are. They are. They are. They are. They're doing – they're okay. Um, but watching Jack Sanborn run around, and I'm like, that's a fine starter right there. I, and you it's, felt it's, the need – It is such a great thing to bring up. I think about it every to, single yeah. time I watch him play, where it's like, why did that's you start to do this? He just, yeah. You just could have played him. And that's yeah. why I respect what the Lions have done so much because yep. I'm guilty of this. I've wanted to speed up their timeline a hundred different times over the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you go do this? Like, you have a chance to kind of push yourselves over the top. Like, let's, let's show some urgency here. And yep. they have stayed the course at every single stage. And listen, maybe ultimately it caps them out at a certain point. Right. But so far, the results have been very impressive and very conducive to their success. Absolutely. Everything that you say in the Cam- the Campbell section is just like, it's so true. They find ways to win, and that's that's on reflective of the roster and the coaching staff, and the GM has a hand in that. Yeah, that's good. Even, even like the Graham Glasgow signing, where you have a guy yeah. that can play multiple positions for you, you have interior linemen that get hurt, 
the the ways that they've thrown bodies at problems, the secondary being the best example, mm-hmm. they've endured injuries, but they've been okay. It would have yeah. been so easy to be like, eh, we're fine, you know. But the fact that they have a Tracy Walker and a Jerry Jacobs and these guys that really do provide that connective tissue of the roster that's allowed them to sustain some of this stuff, I, I think it's a really impressive just example and model of team building that they've shown. I, I easily could have given it to Brad Holmes. He was second on my list. I'm going with Eric DaCosta, though. Who was second on my list. So and it, okay. I just think that same sort of conversation. And where the number one for me, in the moment, I think we were like, what are they doing? How they handled all the Lamar contract stuff. How they let it all blow over. And eventually they got to a place where it made sense for everybody. They signed him to that deal. He's playing like an MVP. We'll talk about it in a bit. So just keeping him in the building. I know that it's not that hard to franchise a guy and not allow him to really negotiate with other teams. But I think getting (laughs) to where they did with Lamar should be acknowledged. But for me, it's all of the small moves that they made this offseason and how impactful and noticeable pretty much every single one of those additions or players retained have been. Look at what Clowney has been for them Mm. after signing in August. Mm -hmm. John Simpson who they signed off the street after he was cut by the Raiders, oh. has been so fun to watch. I'm going to talk about some John Simpson later. Yeah. Oh, He's boy, their he's left fun. guard. He, yeah. they, he was cut by the Raiders. He has added a level of physicality to that offensive line room. What, what position I, group is the Raider, are the Raiders really weak at? I don't have a lot of depth at. It, but this is, it's such a great example of a guy that yeah. just was on the street, and they, he comes in and is playing yep. well for them. Geno Stone was a free agent this offseason. They re-signed him for like a million dollars. He's good. I know. He's good. He's, he's like a borderline all-pro player. He has been yeah. so good this year. They signed him for a million bucks. Ronald Darby, they signed late in the se- in the offseason after Marlon Humphrey got hurt. Arthur Millette has been their starting nickel corner. He, it's, you know, he's not a star, but he's yeah. been more than serviceable. And that ability to kind of piece all these things together. And I know it's a year later and we shouldn't give him so much credit. It, that's why this... It, Award could be tough it's to hard. Out. Yeah, I know. But the development that we've seen from guys like Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum, when in the moment we knew it was probably the right thing, I just think that he has thrown gas in terms of how he has built this team yeah. over the last like twelve to eighteen months, and that yeah. needs to be acknowledged. Yeah, it was like it was everything post like Hollywood Brown trade. It's like that was like all right, all right, we're washing our hands. All right, we're washing our hands of everything. Okay, here we go. Let's let's start anew. And yeah, the last it, I we were talking before the show, but it's like this award really does feel like a a um a your four your four year award. Like this is yeah, like yeah, how'd yeah, you do? Yeah. We're we're grading your presidential term. Uh, Honestly, like coach of the year probably should be that too at, at a know. certain point. But exactly the year it definitely. I should struggle. Be. Like I I never like would get mad or upset about any of these awards, even when I was in the league, or I didn't really have exactly the year. I think all the time, but when I was a kid. Um, but they did actually. No, now that I think about who won it. But uh, but I remember just being like, yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. But now that I have to think about it, I think it's very fun because I think it does reflect what people value when they watch these guys or or we appreciate these teams or talk about these teams. So I've I've grown to actually like the award a little bit more, more to hear what other people's perspectives are than maybe give my own. One more person I wanted to mention that I think should deserve mention in this okay. conversation is Nick Casario. I mean, Look, yeah, th- what Nick Casario <laughs> did this offseason. Yeah. Obviously, getting Stroud is a win in of itself. 
That that is a potentially yeah. franchise hey, altering thing. Ryan Grigson okay? won, won exec of the year <laughs> draft Andrew Luck number one overall. <laughs> so he gets CJ Stroud. I know that the Will Anderson trade comes with a price, yes. right? Like the Will yes. Anderson trade comes through with a price, and we can talk about that. But getting Tank Dell as part of that draft, they've gotten multiple difference makers with this draft alone. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's the smaller moves. Trading for Shaq Mason, trading nothing for Shaq Mason. The Dal- getting Dalton Schultz. The Shaq Mason ones just like signing George Fant after the Titus Howard trade. I'm not exaggerating. The George Fant signing is one of the most important things an NFL team did late in the offseason. Because him being able to come in and play right tackle and have serviceable right tackle play with your rookie quarterback, who you is the most important thing that's going to happen to your franchise over the next five years. That's real. Like what he has done for them is real. So mm-hmm. you have that. Shaq Griffin stepping in for Derek Stingley when he got hurt. I think they just did so many subtle, cheap things that have allowed them to be the team that they are right now. And I think that he deserves credit for that. My apologies for the uh, – or my way of like apologizing maybe for the Will Anderson trade or at least like my way of looking at it maybe from a glass half full lens is next year's edge class sucks. So I, I should say sucks, but it should, it's not, it's not a strong one. It's more a bunch of guys that are really strong against the run, number two pass rusher types, late first round types, as opposed to an ace like Will Anderson is. So that would be my one way. It still was a little rich, but that would be my one way of just saying It's extremely rich. It's extremely rich. Extremely rich. Extremely rich. So but I, I just, don't even, I'm not even saying that's a part of this. I, no. He's a good player, but it's all the other stuff that he has yeah. done. My last one is less need. Just nailed the draft class with a bunch of good players. If they had maybe a little better record here, it'd be an easier argument to make. But want to see it the second half of the year. But yes, they Puka Nakua, Steve Avila, Byron Young, Kobe Turner, their punter is doing good things. Ethan Evans. So wanted to give Les Snead a shout out. Assistant coach of the year, very quickly. It's Mike McDonald for the Ravens defense coordinator. It's, he feels like the story of the year as far as what they're doing and defense overall feels like the story. I felt like all my finalists should have been defense coordinators. That was in the article. Jim Schwartz, Mike McDonald, uh, Mike Caldwell from the Jaguars, and Aaron Spags. Glenn. Spags, Aaron Glenn from uh, the Lions as well should get a shout out as well. That and even Dan Quinn. It's like that. It's all defensive guys. To me, should be the ones at the top. I very rarely get stuff right. Very, very rarely. In the preview show that we did back in August, I I think I said that Mike McDonald would be the coaching story of the year. Like he would be the guy that by the end of the year everyone was talking about. And we're uh, midway through the season. He's the guy everyone's talking about. He is going to be in the front of any line to get a head coaching job, and deservedly so. He has been phenomenal as the defensive coordinator of the Ravens. No, it's it's a fun, it's awesome because it's young guys and older guys right there. Yeah. I love I love that. But yeah, those guys those guys are the ones that are kind of leading the way right now. But also, Mike Caldwell. I, I really like what Mike Caldwell is doing right now. We'll talk about the Jags defense here in a little bit. Yes, we will. MVP. Ah, oh, here we go. We're gonna piss off so many people. I couldn't believe it. It's. I wanted to change it. I did. So last week, my answer was Josh Allen when I wrote the article, and it's still Josh Allen. I believe it was my preseason vote as well, was MVP. I'm trying, guys. I tried to come off this. I can't. Watching him play right now, do you want me to go on my rant, or do you want to say your answer too? I also did. I also said Josh Allen, and we can Great. talk about why. I'm so – this like actually makes me just – like. I, I, it's hard for me to come off this, guys. Not so only just g- here's uh, my argument for Josh okay. Allen. Okay. Give me a better argument. Right. Underlying stats, just what first in QBR, top three and everything with the kind of somewhat artificially lifted Shanahan guys. Uh, just like even his blemishes. I, I want to talk about him real quick too. 
this is the best that Josh Allen has played quarterback, the actual yes. quarterback position. And I, I agree think that's that some of the narrative of chaotic Josh, you know, Professor Chaos that he still can get into has kind of been really kind of doing him a disservice of how he's operating as a quarterback. It's a Jets game. Yeah. It, it's, and I think that's just, it's blowing my mind right now because I watch him and I'm like, man, this guy's handling more at the line of scrimmage than, as much as anyone. As far as they go, tempo, changing protections, changing plays, pointing out sight adjusts. Like, who are you guys? That's like 1998 stuff, pointing out sight adjusts, but they're having him do it because he's a control. But then running the ball, I mean, he's the most devastating. His legs are one of the most devastating weapons in the league. And on top of it, he's as accurate as ever. Uh, I, I just, I, I just watch this guy and I just seeing what he's doing and what, how in control he is of the game. It's hard for me to come off of it because I think he's just playing incredible football right now. Part of the reason that there's no satisfying answer to this discussion is what we talked about at the beginning. Offense is so down that I don't think you're going to come away with an MVP answer that leaves you satisfied. If you look at all of the numbers about what the Bills offense has done this year, they're second in passing DVOA. He's third in, in dropback EPA. It all And that's just the raw stuff. That's like the top level yeah. stuff. All the subtle stuff. He's added more value as a scrambler than anyone in the league except Patrick Mahomes. He is 31st in the NFL in the value he has lost on sacks. Only Mahomes is less. He has a better pressure to sack rate than any player in the NFL except Patrick Mahomes. And he's done more than Mahomes as a passer. Like he's just been the most valuable player in the league, in my opinion, so far this year. I understand their results have been uneven. Their record mm -hmm. isn't great, but he's been the most valuable player. I think there is arguments to be made about several other guys. I have one that I think is a real one that we can make in a second. Other mm -hmm. guys I've mentioned, Jalen Hurts, Tua, I think he deserves more credit and more mention now than yeah. he did last year. We talked about that last week. But I still don't think any of them have been singularly more valuable so far this year than Josh Allen. There's one guy that's close, and we can talk about that if you want to. Yeah, my, in my third place right now would have been, would have been, would be Mahomes. And just kind of like it's it's Mahomes, <laughs> and the numbers are good enough to say, but it's just watching it's Mahomes. Yeah, okay, but I just he's the best player. It's just I just can't give it to him yet. But there is another guy. But I want to say one other thing with Josh Allen is I think people I, I want I want people to watch and just see what watch this guy that used to be just this wild horse sailing the ball twenty yards over a receiver's head become literally one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the entire league. Yeah, and every single snap on the run throwing from the pocket, creating. But the things I I see too with that Bills offense and watching Josh Allen is on a TV copy, especially in Buffalo, which is a narrow TV angle, he'll get into his creation chaotic mode and everyone goes, there he goes again. But then if you watch it on all 22, a receiver falls down, two guys run at each other, a guard gets beat right away. And he's actually make usually guys would be dead right there. The guy would just knock out the quarterback and be like, well, easy sack. Allen makes a play, so everyone goes, oh, there he goes. He's bailing from the pocket again. It's just some of the perception is not actually what's reflecting when I review him. Um, right now, but accuracy-wise, PFF has off-target percentage. He's at 7.7%. And I know there's some noise with this, but like, you, it's a good ballpark number with, with all this. He's fourth in the league right now in off-target percentage. That's It's half of what he was his first year as a starter. So it's eye tests, watching him, numbers. He's playing as good as anybody, if not better. That's why he's my MVP. And when everyone else is falling down around him, like their field position in the Jags and the Bengals game, they, they had the four, two of the four worst field positions for any offense this year in a, in a game. And he's carrying them. Like he's getting them to points. When their defense is falling apart and letting these long drives and they're getting pinned back, he's creating stuff out of it. So I, I just couldn't go with anybody else. The guy I would put in the conversation with him 
in terms of how well they're playing. Like you said, he's playing better than anybody. Yeah. I think Lamar Jackson is playing as well as any player in the NFL right now, mm-hmm. any quarterback, certainly. The production just isn't there yet. Right. And when we revisit this in two months, I would not be at all surprised if Lamar's numbers started catching up with this and the process started really kind of leading to results that we haven't seen so far this year. Because I think down in and down out, playing quarterback right now, he is playing one as well as he's ever played and two about as well as anybody. But the numbers just aren't quite there yet. Some drops volume a lot of different reasons but i think lamar is the person i'd feel the best at kind of overtaking josh allen in the second half of the season the one other guy i'd mention is joe burrow yeah it's, it's, the, it's the pace that, that he's way. on right now because there's no clear-cut favorite and be, based on the way he's played over the last couple weeks we'll see what happens with the higgins and the jamar chase injuries but it's easy to project a finish where Joe Burrow has like 37 touchdown passes and the Bengals just cruise in the second half of the season and he overtakes this narrative. So Lamar right. and Joe Burrow are the two other guys and I do think that Jalen Hurts with some of the ways things could go in the second half might kind of be able to stake his claim as well but I just don't think he is as central to his team's success as Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson have been so far. Hurts would be like if we had a second quarter award but this this 18 weeks has really screwed that up. Like a second quarter award, I would definitely mention him as like a finalist, but it's like a first half award. I, I kind of keep him off, if that makes sense. That first mm-hmm. quarter kind of is weighing in my head. Yeah, Burrow has a nice narrative building for him, so keep an eye on him. But I just want to praise Lamar real quick. I, I, you just said it. Like him operating from the pocket's awesome. We'll get into this when we break down this game. So I'll talk a little bit more about what he's doing right now and how they're using him. But he's third in rushing first downs among all players, uh, only behind Jalen Hurts, who has a lot from QB sneaks, and CMC. But so still has that with his legs. He's picking and choosing his spots, but how he's this kind of, it's what I pictured Lamar from Louisville, but now is the NFL version, just this selective scrambling design runs with just this quick game operator, just throwing accurately, throwing BBs all over the yard. So Lamar's playing awesome. I'm exactly with you where his stats aren't there yet for me to give it to him, but it's Allen and Lamar to me as a top two. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I, we'll talk about it. We're going to talk about yeah, the yeah. game in a second. I don't want to spill too much of the Lamar stuff. Let's get to our game of the week this week for week 10. It's the 49ers against the Jaguars. Of course. It's a great game. Two it teams is. up near the top of the standings, two teams you know, getting sort of in different directions. The Niners have obviously lost a few in a row. The Jags have won a few in a row, but still two of the best teams in the NFL facing off on Sunday. Where do you want to start? Uh, want to go Niners offense, Jags defense? Let's do it. Which I think is going to be a brouhaha. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to Kyle Shanahan, who is uh, a former assistant coach kind of winner and uh crazy and play caller going against what I think Mike Caldwell is doing a great job for the Jaguars defense. But I would say schematically, this is really interesting one. The 49ers offense love to be in 21 personnel, their mm-hmm. death lineup. And the Jaguars defense loves to be a base defense when the other teams do that. And highest rate in the it. NFL. Highest yes. rate of base defense in the league when teams play 21 personnel against them. It's like 89 and a half percent. They're monsters. They're absolute monsters against the run. <laughs> but this is why this is what's so interesting because that was the first part of the lineup or the matchup that I looked at. It's like, okay, what did what did the Jags do against twenty one? They line up in base more than any other team in the mm-hmm. NFL. And traditionally, when that's the case, you think, ah, oh, well, teams can throw on them. They are top three in EPA per dropback allowed when in base yeah. defense this year. 
So when you get their base defense on the field, and I think it's partially because of how good their linebackers have been in coverage, how good their safeties have been in coverage, it's not a weakness for them. So I think that there are certain aspects of this matchup that are kind of tough for the Niners. Yeah, in a Niners and traditionally the Shanahan offenses, they're more, again, I always bring this up, a little bit more finessey, you know, smoke and mirrors, just create misdirection. And it's great. They use it. Now it's more pullers. It used to be outside zone stuff. The Jaguars defense is like, that's nice. I'm punching you in the face. <laughs> that's great. I'm shoving you. Like they're just brawlers. And so that it's a great Styles McFight one. It's a little. You know, a guy like, oh, okay, well, you know, finesse, like jumping around, everything. It's like drunken boxing going against a wrestler. Uh, but I would say that the passing game stuff, I, at first I was like, oh, Jaguars, linebackers, play action, get them, done. They've only allowed four explosive plays against play action. They have the fourth best success rate against play action in the entire league. They're Like you said, they're very good against it. They're awesome. It's one against of the, the biggest improvements a yeah. position group has made from last year to this year is what yeah. the Jags linebackers have done in coverage. Yes. Uh, that was, I, I thought that would be the weakness. That's what, when I remember the Chiefs breakdown we've done, where it's like, oh yeah, Travis Kelsey, big game. Tight ends are going to get targeted there. They've covered tight ends better. Um, also, the DBs are playing fantastic. Uh, I mean, we've talked about Cisco before, but also Tyson Campbell as well. And I think you mentioned the Darius Williams has had a nice season. Williams him moving well, back yes. outside has been such know, a, so a boon for him. I mean, it's we talked about this where that change that they made, moving Williams outside, having Trey Hernan play in the slot, that's what they did down the back half of last season. You yeah. think, all right, is this really the solve? And it has proven to be a hugely important tweak that they made that's bled into this year. It's been good. They're sound. They were doing good stuff. They, the, all that heavy play action stuff, and I, this is vivid in my mind because of the, the Falcons game, because they use similar stuff to the 49ers do. Well, every team does. It's just how well those all those DBs played it, and they passed all the stuff off. It's how an interception happened. I'm curious how they attack those linebackers uh, with misdirection or run game. They like to do that stuff. But also, I just mentioned play action, quick hitting play action. Mm-hmm. More of those kind of one, two, three, four, five, ball out. And Purdy's pretty good at those. This is a huge element of the 49ers offense. Because against quick hitting play action, I just defined it as 2.3 seconds or less. Uh, Jaguars are bottom 10 defense. And that might just be because the linebackers are so aggressive coming up. So I'm curious if they lean into that as well. And also the other thing is gap runs is something the 49ers are good at. I just mentioned all those polars. The Jaguars have allowed the seventh most yards defending gap runs. And they're third worst in terms of success rate. So one 49ers strength is pretty good against the Jags, but I do think the Jags are strong in that area. So it'll be pretty, it's, it's good. It's a strength on strength kind of thing. Talk about it. They're very good defending the pass and base defense. The Jags have been so far this year, mm-hmm. but they're very predictable coverage wise in yeah. base defense. So when the Jags are in base, they play cover three about 55% of the time, which is, I think like a top six rate in the league. <laughs> it'll be the same so, this game too. <laughs> so think about, what the Niners have done over the last couple yep. of years. That's what the Niners love. We're going to get you in base defense. We're going to make you walk another guy into the box, and we're going to mm-hmm. make you play cover three. The Niners last season faced cover three on early downs at the second highest rate in the league because okay. they dictate with the run game and personnel, and yes. they shred people when they when know what's sense. coming. So this strength that the Jags have had, where they've been able to survive despite being a little bit more predictable, yeah. does that translate to when you play the San Francisco 49ers who have shown a propensity to destroy teams when they do this to them. Great point. That's what's actually even better about this game. They're both coming off buys. And so it's mm-hmm. like, uh, they know that. Okay, so how do they tweak that? How they? I 
this Jaguars defense took, I'm telling you, I'm, this might be the third time I mentioned this. This Jaguars defense took a new leap for me. It was how they played the Colts that last game because I just thought that was the funniest thing I've seen in football this year was them just lining up in base when the Colts were trotting out all their receivers, their three or four receiver groups. They're just like, yeah, we don't care. And I just love that. <laughs> I just, that's such an FU. And it's one of the funniest things I've seen. And I mean, of course, they played great. They made Gardner Minshew's head spin, but this defense might, they're going to have some tricks up their sleeve and trying to maybe uh, get Purdy to make a mistake once. once well, or that's what's interesting to me is that yeah. in base, they don't do as much of the disguising. But when they're not in base, it's, this is one of the hardest defenses to decipher in the league right now. It's a true sub package. Like, that's like that's what it is. Like sub personnel, it's a sub package that they use. No, but you're absolutely right. So the number, if you look at it, and this is before you even think about how it changes and distributes differently. In nickel, they play thirty eight percent cover three compared to fifty five percent in base, okay. and they play about forty percent two high coverages, two six okay. four. So when they're in nickel, it can be anything, and yeah. it feels like that when you watch them. They're in weird versions of cover two where the corner's bailing out and the nickel's going to the flat and there sometimes it's quarters and sometimes it's not. And they're playing the linebackers dropping back to be the, the post defender. I mean, they're doing tons of crazy shit when their mm-hmm. nickel packages on the field. So I want to see in those matchups, can they change the picture on Purdy once or twice similar to what we saw Cincinnati yep. do to him and just get him a couple different times. So exactly. watching that little cat and mouse is going to be fun. It's like I never – if I ever talk to Mike Caldwell, I'll just be like – I don't even need to ask. Like, Were you influenced by Todd Bowles at all? Like, just, <laughs> look at those blitzes. Oh, okay. I'm good. I'm good. I, I know I know where you come from. <laughs> One matchup thing on this side of the ball. Ooh. Josh, Josh Allen playing against the potential backup left tackle. Yeah. Trent Williams be... still being out. Is that a matchup that the Jags could consistently win? Because against the Bengals, showed up a lot. Trey Hendrickson <laughs> getting to play against Jalen Moore was hugely important. I thought you were asking me which one I'm looking for, and I was like, so I was like, ooh, I don't know. Uh, but if I did have the answer, would be Tyson Campbell against maybe Ayuk or or Debo. I believe Debo is healthy and playing. Debo's this week, back. So, yep. Yes, so that that would be a very fun fun match. Good to have Debo back too, and, and get that lineup operational. Other side of the ball, number one thing you're looking for when the Jags have the ball against the Niners defense. The Jags can honestly lean into stuff that's already part of the fabric of their offense. And what I mean by that is condensed formations. Really, just watch the Bengals film, which I'm sure they have. Uh, but watch that Bengals film. Condensed uh, the formations. The Jags offensive coordinator knows the Bengals head coach a little bit. You think? Yeah. <laughs> you think? They're brothers. Uh, for if, yeah, for if people who have not picked up yeah, on yeah. that. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I think that, uh, yeah, I would stick with that. But it's nice because the Jags aren't like introducing anything new. And why those condensed formations is using packaged run plays and when I mean package run plays, we call them RPOs these days. But my one get off my lawn thing is I call them package run plays, not RPOs. They're two different things to me. It's a mezcal and a tequila. Uh, the run game is like with they, a package play is a run game, a run concept that has a bubble, a flat, or a smoke, a pass behind the line of scrimmage. You usually do that to control the overhang player, which is usually the slot, the apex defender. The Bengals poked at that and poked at that and poked at that and poked at that and poked at that, did it over and over, put Isaiah Oliver in a bind, put the linebackers in a bind. Yeah, the Jags do this anyways. This is part. This is what they run on offense. They love throwing bubbles to Evan Ingram from like a bunch set. They love doing that to everybody. Christian Kirk, getting all these guys out in space. So it's something that I think they will crank up even more. The run game will be a bit boomer bust. That is the Jaguars run game. It's It's not my favorite. Uh, but it, it'll work once in a while, uh, but it's a little boomer bust, but against a 49ers defense, that's kind of 
Again, you can get after him a little bit in the run, but it's kind of like compress, 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 gash. And that's exactly what it feels like. And so. the ways that the Jags want to attack teams in the run game, go back and watch that Pittsburgh game. Their gap scheme runs, kick out that man on the line of scrimmage. Let's hit that thing off tackle and try to get a gash as we get to the perimeter. That's how they want to play. Well, what do the Niners defensive ends do? Upfield, upfield, upfield. You you can find those holes within the Niners crevices. defense. You can find those crevices. And sometimes they're wider than crevices. You can yeah. find those because those guys get like to get a field. And also, first game of Chase Young, I think he's probably going to be a little antsy. Fancy. He's going to yeah. want to be making some plays. Do you run that way? Because they Bosa's often the guy the team's trying to take advantage of yep. with that in that way because he's so aggressive. Can you do the same thing to Chase Young? Because you mentioned you can get after the Niners defense a little bit. They're 29th in run defense success rate this year. The Niners are not great. 29th. So I do think some of that misdirection and some of that hunting of explosive runs is on the table for the Jags. That being said, I still don't know what the fuck to make of the Jags offense, man. I I just don't know what to make of it. It's like the running game. They're 27th in rushing success rate. Okay. They are 31st in the NFL in the percentage of their runs that go for no gain or a loss. Like when you watch them, it is all or nothing. And they even have. They haven't even had that many explosive runs this year. Like for the most part, it's just been frustrating. And then the offense is I'll go back and watch the Steelers game last week. Trevor hits a throw where he gets sawed in half, throwing the ball down the field to Kirk, to Christian. That hurts so bad. Him standing in there and throwing that ball and hitting that throw, it, it just he doesn't beautiful. wear a flak jacket either. He's one of the sawed in half. You can feel quarterbacks his don't body wear flat jackets. I don't know how it they looks do like it. a cartoon when you watch oh. it on the all twenty two. That drive ends with a fumbled <laughs> shovel pass by Evan Ingram. <laughs> Later in the game, they're playing. The Steelers are playing man. Trevor puts this beautiful ball to Calvin Ridley on a crossing route away from the safety, down low, protects his guy. Drive ends. Trevor throws a red zone interception. Oh, like, it just. Was- this this team continues to frustrate me. But as frustrating as the Jags' offense is, you worried about the Niners' defense? I'm worried about how Steve Wilkes coming down to the to the sideline this week, having some I, rumblings. You worried about this? I yeah, I would say the the run defense thing is real because that is that's that's a huge thorn and getting off uh, on after a team that should be overpowering. And if you could just run on them, that's a total control. Like especially when things get tough. I would say the biggest worry for me, and I wanted to talk about this, is the predictableness on third and fourth down. Passing downs, I know what you're in. I yeah. look at that defense and I can predict, man, man, zone, man, two, three. Like I could just tell you, there's no hesitation. Do you think a quarterback that sees the game very well, like a Joe Burrow or now a Trevor Lawrence, has issues with that, especially when they have matchup advantages? Uh, so I think that's where uh, that's my biggest concern. Again, coming off a of bye week, though, this is where self scouting happens. So I want to see improvements on third and fourth down, and just maybe they're splashing the water more than anything else. And again, I think this this Chase Younger thing will be interesting. I'm very excited to see that, but I'm glad you mentioned that too. I want to see if Trevor Lawrence could use his legs a little bit, use a little QB run game, just going off of what you mentioned as well. But we maybe see some Trevor Lawrence kind of maybe getting a little uh, high leverage situations. I know that pass rush numbers have not been great. They're 27th in the NFL in sack rate. They're still a pre- they still pressure the quarterback. Yeah. Like they're still getting after people. I think those numbers will normalize. I assume that the Jags are going to try to play ball control, short, efficient completions, get rid of the ball quickly, not hang on to it because 
I think talking to coaches who played against the Niners this year, even if the sacks aren't happening, they are very aware of the pass rush still. And then oh, yeah. they, I think they operate with that in mind. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Jags try to play that kind of style. Oh, yeah. It, it, I, with the Jags O line and stuff, the reconfigurations and injuries and stuff, that is, you don't want to dare. Even if you're like, oh, man, we could hold up against this. It's like the one time you're wrong, <laughs> it's a strip sack. You know, the one time it's a sack on third down, it's a drive ending sack, it's a, just a ball hit. So you don't want to play with fire a little bit too much. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right. We are going to do kind of a different sort of under the hood this week. This is the segment where we kind of look at a unit, how they're playing, why they're either worse or better than we might have expected. I wanted to take this a little bit wider and not just talk about the X's and O's of this, but I wanted to talk about just the Jets' overall approach to their offense this offseason and during this season. Obviously, everyone watched that Monday night game. No one was more disgusted by it than Troy Aikman. I I can't remember him taking that tone during a game ever while watching him. He so was I didn't have the sound on, so I didn't, disgusted. I didn't hear any of it. It oh, was I, he, he was so Peyton bad was that it had to be watching that. I think Peyton was more just – it makes Peyton like uneasy. It does. Like, Pey- Pey- Peyton's just uncomfortable when he has yeah. to watch bad quarterback play. Yeah. Troy Aikman was actually disgusted by, by what he was watching during that game. So we all, with that in mind, with that, with kind of living in the shadow of that Jets disappointment on Monday, it's easy to say that Aaron Rodgers' injury is the reason that this is all happening. But I want to dig two or three layers deeper than that and actually get to some of maybe the root issues with what's going on with this offense that have nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers and even to a certain degree, nothing to do with Zach Wilson. Oh man, but Zach Wilson is a big issue. I know. I know. Uh, uh, let's say less to do with Zach Wilson. Okay. Um, it looks like an offense that wanted to have Aaron Rodgers' buddies in it uh, at a couple of the spots. I think the, you know, I think Alan Lazard's a great example of this guy that should be a role player. You know, he is a basically a blocking receiver, catch some underneath stuff, getting used way too much in an important role. And that's kind of the epitome of what's going on with some of the pass catchers. You got Garrett Wilson running. 
Garrett Wilson is a, a receiver I can struggle with sometimes. Uh, I consider him with like Brandon Ayuk sometimes, like these guys that could be herky jerky with their their routes. And when you're not throwing, when you're playing with a quarterback that can be a little late with the ball, can lead to some very poor results or just not have a great feel for it. Uh, but on top of that, it's just the these other guys like Randall Cobb's a healthy scratch. They're starting Xavier Gibson in the slot. The offensive line. I mean, just the right side is just like, oof. even a guy like Lakin Tomlinson, who's their big free agent signing a year ago, I believe, mm-hmm. was he's passable, you know, but it's not a, a strong, strong player, which, you know, we kind of thought. I will say, Makai Becton has at least shown that he's kind of getting back on his path of how talented he is at left tackle. Not all the way there yet, not fantastic or anything, but this approach to this team is just like, where are the dudes? And on top of it, you have a really just leakiness up front that anytime you drop back or Zach Wilson does hold on the ball for three seconds instead of 2.2, it's like everything just comes unraveled. And it we kind of knew this though. Wasn't that the big issue that we had going into the season was, do you trust this offensive line? Do you trust it for 17 games? And I don't know. That's where it kind of at. They came into this year and their tackles on the roster were 38-year-old Dwayne Brown, Makai Becton, who's never been able to stay healthy during his entire career, and Billy Turner. Yeah. Like that, that was the group of tackles. They, they consciously decided that. George Fant, who we mentioned earlier on this show as somebody who has like buoyed the Houston Texans mm-hmm. season, he hasn't been like an all pro or anything. No, no, no. He no. has been more than serviceable as the starting right tackle for the Texans. The Texans paid him like $2 million mm-hmm. to come in in the middle of the summer. And instead of bringing him back, the Jets did what they did at tackle, and now you're looking at it. I know there have been injuries that you can't predict. And I honestly right. think they tried to add a lot of depth to the interior of the offensive line. They drafted Joe Chipman. They still had Connor McGovern on the roster. You have AVT. They've had to endure some of that. But the tackle plan, I think, was always shaky, and it was shaky from the start. Being there in camp, they're like, who the hell is going to play right tackle for yeah. us? And eventually, it solves itself where – Brown gets hurt. They already knew Brown was hurt coming into the season. He had hurt the shoulder. That, that I don't think that was news. And they to wouldn't anybody. put Becton with the ones. Like they were holding off on putting Becton back, even though you know Becton was trying to get his career on back too. So I, I don't know what the lack of trust was there as well. I don't think it was total malpractice because I do think that they tried to do something. I mean, they drafted offensive line in the second round, etc. Mm-hmm. But I think that there were definitely issues with the way that they approached this. The Alan Lazard signing when it happened. I think we were all too busy making jokes to actually acknowledge what the contract looked like. Fair. I'm guilty of this. I was one of the first people in line to make the jokes about them deciding his buddies. Four years, $44 million for Alan Lazard. $11 million a year. Okay? $22 million guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Jacoby Myers. Three years, $33 million. $11 million a year, $21 million guaranteed. Would you like to see this offense with Jacoby Myers opposite would, Garrett Wilson? I'd love to see basically every offense with Jacoby Myers. <laughs> so, yes, I would love to see Jacoby Myers. So, this idea of we're going to go sign Aaron Rodgers' buddies. Billy Turner also knows Aaron Rodgers, by the way. Oh, we're going to hire his buddy to be the offensive coordinator. Yes. This is partially how this, this has gone awry. Like, yeah. when you have built this through Aaron Rodgers to this extent, if you were to ever get hurt, this is what we're left with. Yeah. And so, yeah. I understand that. They weren't planning on Zach Wilson playing, but you're one injury away from this reality, and yeah. this is the reality that we've had to stare down here now for the last nine games. 
And it's not like they try to upgrade it from Zach Wilson when all that happened either. They're like, no, we're going to give him a chance yeah. and everything. And that's on them as well. I mean, you're going into the season with a, what, a 40-year-old left tackle blocking the blind side for a almost 40-year-old quarterback. I, I wanted to hold up for 17 games in the AFC. We'll see. <laughs> that was was my favorite plan. Uh, but yeah, you're not playing, of course, for the injury after four plays, of course. But I just do want to talk about Wilson real quick because like even the strip sack is like sometimes, you know, quarterbacks, you got to help out your line, especially when you know that the line is not great or you are a little issues against the line is the strip sack against the Chargers was just an out and go combo to Garrett Wilson in the slot running an out route. He already threw the go route, which was people were saying was his best throw, which it was still late, and he almost got his receiver's head taken off because it was inside to the safety. So he's throwing the out to he's looking at the out to Garrett Wilson to the field to the slot. It's easily single high. You there's no disguise. It's cover three or man. You're throwing the out there. That is like what you throw. That is what you throw. And on top of it, the defender's head up with Garrett Wilson, the offensive rookie of the year last year, your first round pick. The NFL is all about matchups. That is a matchup auto win. I am getting the ball and throwing it. And if it doesn't look open, throwing it over his head. Done. Play over. He looks over there. Garrett Wilson's about to win. He just has to lead him outside and he comes off of it. And then he doesn't have a plan. He just stands there, holds onto the ball in the pocket, ends up being a strip sack. Come on. <laughs> it's, I mean, we only can so, do so much about coaches and everything, but it's like a guy's got, he's not seeing the game. And it just sucks to watch this defense that plays so hard and the offense that, like, I could see parts. Brees Hall's a good player. It's like, man, they just needed a guy that could just hold the fort. And again, it's just kind of really disappointing to watch right now. There's no winning with Zach Wilson. There's like, there's, no. there's no path with him based on the way that he's playing. It, it's, no. I'm talking about no fly zone, man. Like, I'm so done. But it's not it's as so if, it's not as if the the staff and the people in charge of this are making the game easier on their players either. No, no one's open. Everything everything is just so, so static and predictable. Like, this is just a cascade of four or five different factors kind of coming together at the same yep. time to lead to this sort of result. And like you said, the defense plays so hard. And if you're I love like the, the guy, Jets defense. the guy I keep does. coming back to is Quincy Williams. If you're if you're Quincy Williams in the locker room <laughs> after these games, and you've poured your soul into the last four quarters every single week, and you're dealing with this, I That's truly it. can't imagine what it's like. Oh my god! I mean, every time because like when they're rolling, you could feel it. Like you could just feel that defense taking over the game, and it's just like oh, another three and out, strip sack, something of that sort. That is tough. Especially when you play the emotion that uh, with the emotion that he does, I love the graph hammer though. Well, uh, he's awesome. My, my favorite Quincy Williams thing. So Quincy Williams has three unnecessary roughness penalties so far this year. No one has had four in a season <gasps> since twenty oh. since twenty since twenty nineteen. Ryan okay. Jensen. Uh, <laughs> that's perfect. That's when great. I saw it, I was like, oh. Just chef's kiss. That's beautiful. As the Rashid, I will say, Rashid Wallace. That's that's what that's, that is. Who also had four personal foul penalties the last season that I played football. I, I deeply respect Quincy Williams. I like that again. I had four. Talks about that picture. School. That picture that you have with that offensive line your senior year or junior year is the one that I'm like. Oh, I know you. I, I know what you are. The, the <laughs> scrappy, smart center. I know exactly what you are. Listen, we had a phrase that my offensive line coach used, and it was, we play through the echo of the whistle, not through the oh, yeah. not through the whistle. And uh, that's what I did. And sometimes the echo lasted a little bit longer than the refs thought was reasonable. So That's great. 
See, I was the dirty work guy in basketball, which I, I think would surprise a lot of I people. I was also that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, yeah. I, I'm a great glue guy. It's, uh, but yeah, that was, that, that, so that my real side came out in basketball, I think. All right. It's time for the matchup of the week. We'll run through this a little quicker than we would. Yeah. Obviously, the awards took up a decent amount of time today. Let's talk about the Ravens offense playing against the Browns defense. Luckily for us, this is a repeat matchup, so we can glean some stuff from yes. what happened in week four. We were both, we learned about this because you were tweeting about it. We both went back and rewatched this game. Your, the biggest discovery light bulb nugget that you kind of found rewatching that game and how it might apply to this matchup. Uh, talking about Todd Munkin and Lamar Jackson and this, uh, Miles Garrett, it kind of really summarizes the beginning of the show. It's really cool the first time around when the Ravens had a lot of injuries, the receiver, left tackle. Is Todd Munkin game planning around Miles Garrett and figuring out ways to attack this defense while accounting for Miles Garrett on every single play? Every run was away from Garrett. Every movement throws away from Garrett. The one that was towards him, the run play, was in the red zone. They had three pieces of eye candy going towards him. Jet sweep, feigned tight end, and then Lamar reading him. So it was <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, okay. And you can see when Garrett gets over that, it's hilarious because everyone messes with him every game. I remember when watching Von Miller with the Broncos was hilarious. Everyone was messing with him every game. He just starts beelining straight at the mesh. And then that's why you see the fourth quarter, Miles Garrett does what he does. But that just – you know, stood out to me. We've talked about Shane Waldron doing this as well with the Seahawks. Some of the passing game was quicker. The chip help, you know, some of the, all the classics that they used, releases of Mark and- Mark Andrews through the tackle and Garrett. Um, just really good awareness. And on top of it, uh, love watching Lamar. And I'm hoping with these receivers, maybe going man against a man coverage from the Browns. I think this is death by a million slant runners from the Ravens offense, which is a lot of fun. But there's going to be some man matchups. So how does that? Who pops first on those types of plays? Lamar scrambling, Lamar hits slants, those types of things. So that's really what I'm watching is uh, how Munkin game plans for Garrett, some pullers in the run game, of course, GT counter, and then also a quick game from the Ravens offense. We talked about it earlier in the show. I mean, this is a matchup between two of the coordinators of the season so far, mm-hmm. and Todd Munkin going up against Jim Schwartz. And the Ravens have struggled against man coverage overall so far this year. If you look at the season as a whole, Lamar is bottom five in the NFL in e-paper dropback against man and bottom third of the league in success rate. It has been better recently. So that was more of an issue earlier in the season. When Devin Duvernay is running routes for you and you're like, oh, again? (laughs) A little bit better. That being said, this is one of the few games where I don't think there are as many clear matchup advantages with the Ravens receivers against the secondary the way there is with most defenses they're going to play against. So that – what are you going to do to create separation against man and who can consistently win those sorts of matchups? That to me is absolutely one pillar of the match of this game. The one that I'm looking for though, how do they try to create some gashes in the run game? Because that is one area in the week four matchup. And then just period for the Browns this year where teams have been able to get after them a little bit. The Browns have given up nine runs of 20 plus yards this season. That is the second most in the NFL. Okay, they've given up the third fewest completions of 20 plus yards. So the gashes that you've been able to get against the Browns relatively have been on the ground. This makes sense because Mm -hmm. think about how the Browns play up front. I was talking to a coach about this earlier this week, and I think it's an interesting contrast. The Niners defense has the same sort of mentality with their front four, but because it's so zone heavy, 
and you have eyes on the quarterback and in the backfield, you're not getting explosive runs when mm. you have some of those holes. Well, what do the Browns do? The Browns play a bunch of man. Mm-hmm. So if you can get past the first level of the defense, guys aren't looking at where the ball is. So you can get some of these explosive runs. And we saw that in that first matchup where they're just letting defensive ends run up field and either hitting them with pullers or just feigning the same like, way that you talked about. Yeah. So I do think that based on the way the Ravens run offense looks and the way they want to run the ball with all these gap scheme runs kind of getting on the edge that way, it is a way that you can get after this Browns team. So I think that little matchup and how they try to do that is going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, the the GT counter was the one that was kind of getting them a little bit. I think they hit him like two or three times, which mm-hmm. is, you know, two pullers to guard and a tackle, and Lamar would read uh, mm-hmm. one of the ends. So that's where I think Keith Mitchell might get involved because he'll be the horizontal stretcher. Yep. So uh, I could see that because that was one way. And I do think um, they're a really good at-you run team, not even just using pullers, the duo stuff. Um, with the Browns team, they want to get upfield. So if a double team does win, they usually kind of just get shoved out of the play. It goes on to the linebackers. Mm-hmm. And the Browns linebackers are a little undersized. They're more run and run and hit type yeah, of they're, guys. They're, they're knifers. That, yes, that's they are what knifers. they are. Yes. Duo. I was just about to say it could be a hot knife through butter, but it's, it's not. It's not. It's, it's, uh, but so it's the opposite of that, I guess. But it's the when, if you have those kind of run around types of linebackers, duo is great against them because you can pin them. And they're not strong enough to recover. So if they make one wrong step, so dual can pin. So you might see some some gust bus up the middle uh, as usual. Explain that a little bit more because I, I know what you're saying, but I think it's a good yeah. visual for people. With duo, the, the run is coming straight at you. It's not horizontal where you're able to find space to kind of play downhill like that. You have to work around the double team. Yeah. So that quickness and that ability to kind of be a penetrator as a linebacker is less important. Yes. it's And really – Duo is read by the running back and really the offensive line is they you are reading the linebacker, the Mike linebacker playing cat and mouse. Joke was always Mickey Mouse, but cat and mouse with the linebacker because duo can hit anywhere, which always cracks me up when I see hits the designed hole or design gap on duo. It's like it literally can hit anywhere. It can go backside, front side. It can bounce. It all depends on how it's blocked up and what the linebackers do. So if those linebackers that run a hit get committed – they really get sealed off. So, yeah, it's it, that's one interesting thing. They did it a couple times in their first matchup. I'm pumped to watch Lamar play against this defense again. Yeah. Uh, just again, I think he's playing at such an incredibly high level. It's just it's such a fun kind of football experiment to see what he looks like against some of the best defenses in the league and what this offense looks like because they've done such a great job of finding a path forward no matter what defenses are doing against them. Again, we talk about that Arizona game, and I know the Cardinals' defense isn't that great, but the plan that the Cardinals' defense had for them, we're just going to run the ball. We're, yeah. we're just going to pound it down your throat. So their answers, depending on what they think the defense is going to do, it's a fun little present to open up every single week. Like What Todd Monken's plan is and why has been a fun part of this season. There it is. What duo is against run around and funky looks? You just brought the Cardinals stuff. that they They're all smoking mirrors on defense. Sometimes it's just like, hey, just pound the rock. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark when Indiana Jones shoots the guy with the, the sword that just does all the dancing and all this. He just pulls out his gun and shoots him. That's what r- pounding the rock does against those types of looks. So that's my analogy to, to wrap it up on this that point. Time for Win My Four Screen. Each week, I solicit your guys' arguments for which game belongs in the fourth screen of my little multi-view during the early slate. Typically, the the sadder the argument, the better. And we got plenty of good ones this week. From David Chiles. He says, hello, Robert and Nate. Or or Chiles. I don't know how you pronounce it, but I'm going with Chiles. 
I submit to you the return of one of our most dependable franchises in professional sports, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs have been playing football for nearly 50 years, and they possess comfortably the worst winning percentage of all 32 franchises, 404. No one loses more consistently. From 1976 to 2019, they had easily the worst quarterback history in the NFL. Yes, even worse than your Chicago Bears, Robert. Credible arguments could have been made that Josh Freeman had the best quarterback season in Buccaneers franchise history. <laughs> QBs like Doug Williams and Steve Young played forgettable football for the Bucs and turned into Super Bowl winning quarterbacks shortly after leaving the franchise. Even one of the worst quarterbacks in team history, Trent Dilfer, went on to win a Super Bowl immediately after leaving the Bucs. No one had it worse than us. Then something unthinkable happened. The greatest quarterback in the history of the sport decided he wanted to come play for the Bucs. Us? We got Tom Brady? It was too good to be true. It then went even better than expected. He helped us retire our tormentor, Drew Brees, in the Superdome. Beat Aaron Rodgers, beat Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl in Tampa. It was beyond belief. 2021 saw us with the best offense in the league, the best record in team history, and maybe if not for injuries to Chris Godwin and Tristan Wirfs, another Super Bowl could have followed. There's no need to talk about last year, but even so, it still ended with the division title, only the eighth in nearly 50 years. In the entire history of Tampa Bay sports, the area had won two championships. In the time Tom was here, we won three and went to an additional Stanley Cup final and World Series. He changed everything. But now Tom is gone. And guess what? The Bucks are back, baby. Back to being a team no one outside of Tampa watches or cares about. A team with another journeyman at quarterback. A team the athletic football show spent 12 minutes previewing while every other team got 30. We are here watching Baker Mayfield get passes deflected at the line every drive, a historically bad running game, and a disappointing defense that's being run by our defensive genius head coach. A defense that just got lit up for 470 yards by a rookie quarterback and has another rookie quarterback coming to town this week. Surely this rookie QB, who the Bucks could have drafted, won't light them up and have the entire fan base arguing about how the Bucks should have taken him. So sit back and take comfort in knowing one of the most reliable things in professional sports is back and here to stay. The Buccaneers playing irrelevant 1 p.m. Sunday games and losing. Beautiful. Love it. Beautiful. So shout true. out to one of my, shout out to one of my so favorite true. quarterbacks ever, Brad Johnson. That's, so uh, true. All right, listen, uh, we've talked about this in the past. I had a brief dalliance with the early 2000s right. Bucks as my team that's of right. choice. I love those, those early 2000s Bucks teams. I watched a lot of Trent Dilfer and Sean King yeah. back in my day. Yeah, late 90s. If the athletic football show existed in the late 90s, we would have loved the Bucs. We would have been all over that. Oh, did you see All-Star? They had Lorenzo Neal blocking for All-Star. That was awesome. Just <laughs> I did that. I did that. I actually did that in real <laughs> they, life. Oh, they were in NFC Central. I hated them. They, I'll never forget they, the one loss in 98 for the 15 Vikings outside the playoff game uh, was the uh, – they won <laughs> they, they, uh, the Bucks beat them – in Tampa, I want to say it was the day after Halloween, and I stayed up all night. First time I've ever stayed up all night in my entire life. It was the only game. It was an away game. The only game I missed that entire watching that entire year, and we lost. And my oh parents my are God. very superstitious. Do you think they let that go? They did not let that go. <laughs> so they said, that's why you don't stay up all night. They try to blame it on <laughs> eight-year-old me, nine-year-old me. <laughs> Just want to eat some Reese's. And I remember, I remember they like pulled out ahead. All set had some big run at the end of the game. It was like three guys. Robert Griffin missed a tackle. Oh, it's burning into my brain. Well, we're back. We're back. We're, we're not, not back with those teams. Those are the good Bucks teams. We're back yeah. to like 2012 Bucks, like Lovey Smith era Bucks, Greg Shiano era Bucks. Late Gruden Bucks. 
Those are some good ones. I, I, you, need, you need some John, uh, Jeff Garcia starting at quarterback for the Bucks. Before we get to Tyson's touts for the week, your three favorite picks, time for a quick wins league update. For those oh, of you guys don't it. know, we each picked five teams at the beginning of the year. Combined wins, the loser has to endure what is a very embarrassing bet during Super when Bowl. When do we week. reveal that? We're, I, I don't want to reveal it until it happens because I want people yeah. to be surprised when it happens. I don't want it to lose the juice. Just know, like I've said many times, neither of us want to do this. No. We really, really don't want to lose. No. No. Okay? I don't. My five teams. Jags, Bills, Bengals, Chargers, Eagles. Nate's five teams. Cowboys, Niners, Ravens, Chiefs, Falcons. Yeah. I am now winning. Happy. Through nine weeks at the halfway point, I am 28 and 14. Nate is 28 and 15. I am up a half game. The only problem with this is that you have all the best teams. Wow. You like Heineke that much? You yeah. have all the best teams. <laughs> Don't say that. You keep doing Your this. top four teams are like the four best teams in the league. So no, even if I this. have made a comeback here, I still don't feel good about it. Score zero zero. It's halftime. Just gonna go full high school, Harry. The do we have a we have some? Where are the one ones we have this week? We have Jags versus Niners. Jags Niners. Yep. Do we have any more head to heads? That's it, right? I think that's it. Oh, the e- Eagles Cowboys game was big for me. Well, Chargers Lions should be mine. <laughs> Listen, I had to go Falcons. Can, so you can't go back on it, baby. God. You can't go back on it. <laughs> I can't. I, I cannot. I, uh, if the Jags win this week, I will be very very happy. The, the, the Bengals-Niners game and the Eagles-Cowboys game over the last couple of weeks were huge for me. But again, I, I anticipate this all going off the rails very soon. All right, your three favorite picks of the week. Let's do it. Uh, my three favorites that I just scrapped together right now. I'm going Broncos plus seven and a half at the Bills. I actually kind of like that one. Broncos pound the rock a little bit. Keep the game close. You know, if I think the Bills will pull ahead. Yeah, I kind of like that one. Uh, Gross. Broncos, def- Broncos defense is playing a little better. So, uh, but still, they're not good. But uh, we'll see. Uh, I'm going Vikings plus three. Hosting all I want to do is ignore that game. It's all I want to do. And you're willfully just engaging it in ways that are not necessary. I, I like making it all count. I, I just like make every. I want to feel everything like just good or bad. That's why the wins league does, which is good and bad as well uh vikings plus three hosting the saints dobbs possibly jefferson i don't know like <laughs> this is what i'm going with i actually the saints think are the one Vi- of those teams there are a few different teams this week that no idea we, we, we're gonna have to start talking about them like the saints yeah. are one of those teams we're gonna have to start talking yeah. about the saints pretty soon yeah i know uh, and watching that game the saints had the best i brought up that field position stat. the saints had the best field position of any team in the league uh against the bears last week it was like the 43 yard line or something like that. So it's like, no wonder they were able to kind of come back right there. But yeah, I don't know. I, I want to, I'm curious about that game, but I do think the Vikings were playing such good ball on both sides of the ball. That's what's so disappointing about the cousins injury, but um, Raiders. And so I'm betting on that team. Last one Raiders minus one hosting the jets. Sure. Let's keep it going. I, I, this is a vibes bet. This is one team feels like real, having a lot of fun and one team does not seem like they're having fun. So that is Sala, that's all of it. Sala sounded so defeated during that radio interview with Michael K this week. So sounded defeated. Like a, sh- just like a like, Dave Chappelle bit. I just can't do it anymore. I can't have this conversation yeah. anymore. Unfortunately, he is the head coach of the team, but we'll be continuing to be asked about it. And they're still relevant, so they can't it's there's no break happening either. Uh, good stuff. I, I love that you decided that you were gonna make two of these disgusting primetime games watchable in a different mm-hmm. way for yourself. It's a good strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it I, it's not a strategy I will be employing, but it's a good you gotta strategy. Make it count. Gotta make all right. it count. That's all we got. 
This will probably be in your ears on Friday morning, would be my guess, unless you're listening to it during the Thursday night game. You can go watch our Bears-Panthers YouTube reaction on YouTube as soon as that game is over. You can watch it live with us if you are going to listen to this before that game kicks off. So please go check out our Bears-Panthers discussion after Thursday night football. Uh, we've already talked about this. If the Bears lose this game, I, I, I'm going to be crestfallen. Like this is the one of the only games all year where the result deeply matters to me for obvious reasons. So I, I need the Bears What's to win this game. Dude? Oh, they're they're favored. Dude. Three by three and a half points. It, it, everything about it is making me very uneasy. Over under thirty eight. Everything that. about it is making me very uneasy. So please go check that out. Please come back right here on Sunday night to hear our Week Ten recap. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy your weekend. We will talk to you very soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.